So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite stay. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast, Ruin My Childhood. I'm Phil and with me this week for our Halloween episode is Preston. Preston, thanks for being here. Oh buddy, I would not miss this man. Anytime I get an opportunity to talk my favorite franchise with some good peeps, I am always down. Thank you so much, Phil, for having me, man, as always. Of course, of course. Thanks for being on. I am really excited to talk about today's film. I met him. 15 years ago, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding, even the most rudimentary sense of life and death, good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Uh, we are christening this Halloween with Halloween H2O, 20 years later. <laughs> nice long title. Uh, movie came out in August of 1997, 1998, excuse me, August of 1998, and really followed the original two movies as a 20 years later uh, bookend to what what came in 1978. Um, Preston, can you can you tell me a little bit about your your fascination with the Halloween franchise? You just said it's your favorite franchise, so tell me tell me about that. Yeah, it's so funny. It's it's basically like you know the two biggies for me are like Batman and Michael Myers. I, for whatever reason, <laughs> those, those are like those are like my two heroes. I just need a crossover somewhere at this point. Mm -hmm. But um, now, man, you know, just growing up from a very early age, my father really introduced me to horror just in general, and Halloween was his favorite series, and so it was kind of easily passed on to me. Now, I will say. It's very ironic that I love Halloween and, and all that good stuff as much as I do because I'm from a, a smaller town uh, in Kentucky, uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is actually where John Carpenter is from. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So we have a ton of connections throughout the series, whether it be you know Smith's Grove Sanitarium, which I literally went to elementary school in Smith's Grove. Uh, you know wow. Warren, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Warren County, I literally live in Warren County. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting kind of how all that worked out. But anyway, man, I just, I love the series. I love the films and I love each of them for different reasons. Um, man. And in thinking about Halloween H2O, 
really wild. Like, mm-hmm. isn't it so strange, like, when this movie came out, how 20 years seemed like a hundred, like it seemed like such a long gap between 78, 98. Yep. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> it, it really did. And so, and so now you're like, Oh my God, like we've already seen, you know, an H four O of, of sorts at this point, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is just baffling to see, but yeah, man, got so much love for this franchise. You know, I love the shape and just, um, Man, it's just it's just scary and and awesome, and I love me some Michael Myers. But uh, yeah, H two O is a really fun movie, man. It's not a perfect movie, and I really can't wait to get into those things. Um, just you know, kind of thinking about my history with H two O, I literally the first thing that comes to mind is a VHS tape. I bought a <laughs> I bought a used VHS tape of uh, Halloween H two O, not right when it came out because I was six or seven, although mm-hmm. sadly I was very much into horror already at that time. Well, sadly or awesome, no matter how you look yeah, at it, but I think awesome. uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up watching this movie on VHS countless times. Um, there are certain scenes we'll get to in a little bit where I vividly remember turning up my surround sound, like as high <laughs> as it would go to take full advantage of, uh, that crazy instrumental score that we'll kind of yep. talk about. I'm sure in oh, a little yeah. bit, but but yeah, man, great, great memories. Like I said, not perfect. I have plenty of nitpicks, but at the end of the day, I uh, I watch it every year and enjoy it. That's great. I I don't necessarily watch it every year, but I do I do uh, think this is a really interesting entry in the franchise. Now, yeah, I I was born in eighty one, and so Halloween, the original couple, I got into in my early teens or maybe even 12, but, um, I, I started watching a lot of horror about 12, 13, 14 and Halloween, as I've mentioned before on the show is one of the ones that was right towards the beginning of my, my fandom of horror. And I, when this movie was announced for 98, I was seven. No, I don't even know how old I was. I was, yeah, probably 17, 16. Gotcha. And I just was really excited. I couldn't wait to see it in theaters. Um, I I was so happy the original Laurie Strode was back and we weren't going to have any more of the weird stuff that had come the three <laughs> films before. Uh, and I just really wanted to see Michael and Laurie together again. And I remember going to the theater in 98 to see this. And I, I remember going in the summer thinking, gosh, it's really weird to be watching a Halloween movie in the summer. <laughs> yeah. In August. <laughs> I know. It's like, what are you thinking dimension? Come on. Yeah. Like just wait a couple of months, just put it out in September. Even <laughs> exactly. when, when the leaves start changing colors in New York. I mean, that would be, that would have been better for me, <laughs> but it still was a very, very cool experience to be able to go and see Jamie Lee Curtis on the screen with the shape again. Um, and I remember walking out of the theater thinking like, that was, that was cool, especially the end. Like we'll get to it later, but that was cool. (laughs) And you mentioned the score. It was so weird and such a departure, but still had like the vibe of the original. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was really into scores then. And I still am today, but, um, I remember listening to that and I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. They used a whole orchestra for it. (laughs) Uh, 
and you know now I have a very different opinion of it. But yeah. we'll <laughs> like, talk I about that. I think we're going to line up on that, Phil. I think I think we're going to have something in common. But one thing I want to touch on with you, I think that's so awesome that you were like you know a teenager, sixteen, seventeen, you know, being able to go see this in theater. I'm sure that like I'm sure it was so surreal, like when you found the news out that H2O was actually happening, that Jamie Lee Curtis was actually coming back because the only thing that I can really relate to, you know, in that is the news of, of Halloween 18. Like I will never forget reading that press release of like, Oh my goodness, Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back. I mean, I just, I never ever in my wildest dreams thought that would happen. And I'm sure back in 1998, that was the same case. Yep, exactly. It sure was. Um, it, I, well, I was about to say, I was about to get into the film, but uh, I guess it probably is as good a place as any to jump in. Um, the film was, just to take a step back about the actual production, John Carpenter originally was thought to to direct it. Right. And they, they really thought that he was going to be a bigger part of the production than he was, but he he opted out. He, there was a rumor that he said that he wanted no active part in the sequel, but I guess it was just a rumor because he asked for a lot of money, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. I hey. think that's what it was, right? He asked for $10 million. <laughs> and and nowadays, that. like, $10 is nothing, right? But in 1998, for a director to make $10 million on a picture, maybe that was something huge when the budget for this film was $19 million. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey! I'll, as much as I love John Carpenter, I, the guy is always going to take a check, as he should, <laughs> right? I mean, he will always, he will always do that. Yep, he sure will. <laughs> and so he he declined once they said no, we're not going to pay you that much. He's like, all right, well then, make it without me. Um, so I, I I didn't know that until recently, and I didn't remember it until I went back and started doing a little research for this episode. And it just kind of blows me away that he would have taken a step back because they weren't going to give him the money. And maybe, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but sure, it just feels like that's, you're being a little selfish. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe No, no, man. I mean, I totally, I totally get it. I mean, I totally get, you know, kind of our fan perspective being like, dude, Mm -hmm. come on. Like we got Jamie Lee back. We can bring the whole gang back together. And then, you know, at the same time, I get his perspective as well. He obviously, you know, was not thrilled in the direction that the franchise went, you know, after he left, he's yeah. been very vocal about that. And um, yeah, you know, one thing before we jump into the film that I think is really interesting as well. And, and you talking about, you know, John Carpenter kind of turning down the job. I wanted to note a couple things. So Jamie Lee to this day, she still says that she made this movie for the fans out of their loyalty. And I, I think that's really commendable. I mean, whether or not that's true, let's, let's be, <laughs> let's be honest, whether or not that that's act, actually true. The fact that she at least says that I'm like, yeah. that's really cool. And, and I love that. But uh, going back to the film's production in the writing phases, Robert Zappia, he he wrote the film. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that when he kind of got into writing it, he thought that this was going to literally be a straight to video project. I mean, because yeah. you got to remember where we were coming from. And to be fair, I'm a big fan of this movie. And a lot of people put it at the bottom of their list. But Halloween <laughs> 6, uh, The Curse of Michael Myers, I totally get it, uh, by the way, either way you stand on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, let's just say, you know, even though I love 
or like the movie, it's it's a mess, you know, especially at the yeah. end. Where do you go from that, right? right. And so they're kind of, you know, jump starting the franchise, adding some freshness in it again with this straight to video kind of title. And uh, you know, he's just told out of nowhere, like, hey, we like your script. You did a great job, but we're not going to do that. Uh, so we have, you know, we have Jamie Lee Curtis coming back. And so we need to find a way to kind of work her into your existing script and all that. So I just kind of love that this film started as a straight to video, just whatever. And then it's like, oh, we have Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, it's interesting you bring all that up. It's it's such a it, it has such a weird production schedule because you're right. He wrote it. They had to rework it. And then Kevin Williamson, who was Dimension's golden child at the time, <laughs> came in for rewrites. And he's uncredited as having rewrites. But he yeah. punched it up, I guess, and got Jamie Lee in the script and made it what Dimension was making in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it's it's very, very interesting that, you know, he he remained uncredited and Zapia still got the credit for it. But that's right. Dimension was like, hey, golden child who's making all this money for us. <laughs> Can you help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need you. Yep. <laughs> so look, to now jump into the film. Oh, I actually want to make a correction. I looked it up. It's it. The film was 17 million. The budget was 17 million. Oh, so my. if they gave John 10 million, that would have jumped the budget probably up to 24 25 depending on how much they paid the director they got <laughs> yeah so that's true <laughs> yeah it's definitely interesting but the movie went on to gross 85 million so they made their money back but you know they don't always want to take risks on something like this because you never know how the fans are truly going to receive it so mm-hmm. keeping the budget low was kind of dimensions thing at the time too so it, it all worked out in their favor I like, um, I like to think they were kind of like, hmm, do we want John Carpenter or do we want LL Cool J? Let's, <laughs> let's, let's see. Uh, eh, no. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, was, was, um, gosh, uh, what's the great white movie he's in? Uh, oh, uh, Deep Blue Sea, right? Deep Blue Sea. Was that before or after this? Now I got to look. A great, I know. That's a great question, man. Yeah. I would, I would like to know that very close. I want to say. Maybe Deep Blue Sea came out in 99, but that's a guess. Yeah, it's 99. You're right. Look at you. All right. All yeah, right. so so this movie in that came out in 98 was kind of his uh, his audition for Deep Blue Sea. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, LL Cool J in this film, man. It, we'll get to some of his lines, but my goodness. <laughs> um, so, our, so the movie opens, and it... When, when we see within the first couple minutes before the credits roll what they're doing, I got so excited. First off, a little Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in it, and that was cool. But going back to Haddonfield, going back to Loomis's place, and having Michael going after where Loomis lived and then his in-home nurse um, that I guess got his house when he passed away. Right, Maybe. I know. That's that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just we kind of have to assume that Marion Chambers was in uh, Doctor Loomis's will, apparently. Yeah, so there yeah. you go. <laughs> he died. So in in the continuity of the film, he passed away three years before, and she is living in the house, and Joseph Gordon Levitt is her neighbor. 
That's um, that's right. She, she comes home and it's two days before Halloween and her place is broken into and good old Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his buddy come over to help uh, make sure that she's okay. And uh, he goes in the house and, and sees that it was ransacked, but comes out and tells her, yeah, I called the police. Looks like somebody messed up your house. And he busted up her kitchen. So he's like, that person also busted up your kitchen. Yeah, they really messed up your kitchen. Oh, And man. stole some beer. <laughs> and, he, and then he went back with his buddy to his house. And the, the tension in 98 in a movie theater, when she goes back in the house, and you know what's happening. You know, you know he's there. It was, it was awesome. It was palpable in the theater. Like oh. everybody was just waiting for her to get it. Dude, I am so jealous to hear that because you're <laughs> you're right, man. It that really is a great opening scene. I mean, the the problems that you you know, or that I and you you know eventually may voice over this movie. The opening, I mean, is not one of. I mean, hell, you open up with Men or, uh, Mr. Sandman. I mean, come yeah, on, exactly. Oh, um, so good. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, love love seeing Marion Chambers back, and and it really is a great tension building scene as you're just waiting for him to just pop mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And it looking back on it now and rewatching the film yesterday, <laughs> it is not as impactful as I remember. It's pretty slow moving and it's pretty it, it's not as suspenseful as I remember mm. from being in the theater and then watching it on DVD and mm-hmm. every couple years. Uh Every I didn't mention this before, but every Halloween, I usually pick a single Halloween movie because I like doing a lot of horror movies. So every year I pick a single one to watch. And, um, you know, some years I do more, but usually it's just one. So I usually get around to this one every four to seven years. Okay. And watching it now, this was the first time in probably five years. And... It just wasn't, it didn't hit me as hard as it did back then. And maybe I'm just desensitized to the type of horror that's come out since. <laughs> but it was definitely a 90s, more oh, cheesy kind of horror I that mean, they were known for. You know, Dimension the, was definitely known for. The epitome of 90s horror. I mean, my <laughs> goodness. Well, that's going to be a common theme I think we're mm-hmm. going to discuss throughout talking to this, you know, talking with this movie. But uh, yeah, let me, sorry, let me pause my creed in the background real quick. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's so nineties and unfortunately, like some movies that are, you know, stuck in a time, you know, you, you, some, some movies you view that as being awesome. This one, I think it's kind of for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Um, but one thing, one thing I will say as far as, is a big praise of this opening, uh, opening scene is I think, uh, without a doubt, this is Michael looking his best in the movie. Of course, you know, most fans know at this point they were using the Halloween 6 mask for this opening yep. scene, which I love the Halloween 6 mask. And I'm just like, why didn't you keep using it throughout the whole movie? <laughs> That's one of my biggest, biggest negative points of this film. But uh, anyway, I just had to mention, really love the mask in this scene in particular. Just wish they would have used it the rest of the way. Well, it's funny you bring that up because talking about the production again, in and, and it's hard to tell because there aren't as many shots. But in all of the 
the wide shots or far shots of Michael, he's wearing that mask. But they didn't like how the mask looked in close-ups, so they reshot all Michael Myers' face facial close-ups after production wrapped, and they went through editing. And it's really interesting because they just didn't love how it how it looked on film. I don't know if they were using some weird 90s filter, but um, they they actually reshot everything where it was a close-up of his face. And so they used a different mask for those. Which I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, I, okay, I'm trying to think of how to put this. Like, I am very much a guy with the Halloween franchise in particular, where I will forgive a number of, of movie sins, if you will, if you just get, you know, Michael Myers, the shape, whatever you're going to call him, right. You know, get his mask right. Get the mood and atmosphere right. Get the lighting correct when he's on screen. You know, I just want him handled with care, I guess what could say. And man, this movie just did not do that. They did not do that. There is, you know, there are at least four masks that I'm aware of throughout this movie. And I mean, you know, this is just nerd talk because, you know, a general, a general audience member may watch it and have no problems and not even think about it. But man, it stands out just like the worst sore thumb. Uh, When I watch this one in particular, I mean, I know we'll get to it, but the CG mask, oh my God, I just Mm want to cry every time I see it. It's just like, what were you thinking you know, the classic quote, you have one job, you have one yep. job, just get that right. <laughs> yep. That's funny. Yeah. For, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up. I didn't even remember there were four masks used. Um, <laughs> the CGI, I did remember that there were three, the Halloween six, the one they use for close-ups, and then the CGI, but I, I didn't remember that there was a fourth. So I wonder which scenes I'm misremembering. So, I mean, not to get too far into the weeds here, but okay. So obviously we, you know, as you said, we have the oh, Halloween is, six. I mean, this is the, the weeds about this is the cool <laughs> stuff. And if anybody doesn't want to listen, skip ahead like three minutes. Okay. So obviously you have the Halloween six mask, as we discussed, you have the CG mask. So there's two. So, okay. The perfect example of this. So in some of those super wide shots, and then in some of the, even if you go back to like the original teaser trailer, there is a mask they use, and I'm sure that there is a name for this, uh, for the mask in particular, but it is so incredibly white and has zero features whatsoever. Like it is just, it is just a white face and you see that in like the trailers and stuff like i remember specifically in the teaser trailer that classic shot of jamie lee curtis and michael with the glass door you know Mm -hmm. that was the stan winston mask okay see i thought it was the winston yes i remember hearing the winston mask referred to so that one the winston mask was the one the winston mask just to just to call out so that everybody knows if if you're following along at home that was the one it's really tight you see his eyes and it's pretty, it's really glaring. Like his eyes, his eye sockets are fully visible and the hair is crazy messy, like weirdly messy. (laughs) So I'm there, there are definitely four. I'm getting a little confused here because I'm yeah. Like without visually being able to see them, but for sure, I know there are at least four because like, like you mentioned previously, there was a ton of reshoots done with a new mask and, 
you know, they, they shot so much and then we're watching the film just like, oh, uh, that's not Michael Myers. Who's that? Like, and so they had to go back and reshoot the stuff. Um, yes, there are definitely at least four, though. I know for yeah. sure, because I can just sit there and point them out. I'm just sh- shaking my head. Uh. <laughs> I will say, though, yeah. I will say, you know, with this most recent watch, with this most recent watch I had, we'll continue to go through the movie. I apologize. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of like put that in the back of my head, like the issues I have with Michael in particular in this movie. I was like, okay, those exist just because every time I watch it, those always stand out. But Mm -hmm. one thing that stood out to me a lot more in my past viewing was Jamie Lee Curtis and and her kind of character arc. And I will say to the movie's credit, I really, really like how they handle her return. Um, I don't know if I like it more than say like Halloween 18 did. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of people that do. But I think it's I think it's right up there. I really love her in this movie, and I think she gave a really great performance. And performance is is one thing that really stands out about the movie in particular because I think there's a number of really good performances throughout it. To be honest, whether it's Jamie Lee Curtis, I really love Adam Arkin in this movie a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's great, and then Josh Hartnett, obviously introducing him. Uh, I, I really like him as as her son. Um, yeah, like that's that's one thing that did actually stand out is I think there's some some really good performances and some some actually pretty good acting throughout this movie. So, yeah. you know, problems with with Myers aside, there there are absolutely, you know, some positives in there. <laughs> yeah, and and this was a Josh Hartnett um like intro to the world. The yeah. movie the movie even says once the credits roll after Joseph Gordon-Levitt Levitt gets an ice uh a what ice blade through the face. Yeah, that's right. Um, it says introducing Josh Hartnett. Yeah, yeah, man. And this, this series has introduced some, some great folks <laughs> to the world of acting. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, moving back into the film after that intro scene, after she gets her throat slit and the cops are just making jokes about having to go to like two B and E's, which, what do they say? They call it like a double double dip or something like that. That's, that's right. Yeah. Um, they they cut to the the board um, yeah. for the opening credits of, it was like Loomis's Michael board, right? And, and we then cut after the credits to this school in Northern California where Lori has moved and changed her name and her whole identity and now goes by Carrie. Uh, and her, she has a son. She wakes up in a from a nightmare, and her son, introducing Josh Hartnett, runs in, and he is a little dick. <laughs> That's all I have to say about the way Ooh. we meet him in the film. Is he is so mean to his mom? <laughs> he is such a jerk. <laughs> and watching it again now as a father, I'm like, you give give your mother some respect. <laughs> she went through something <laughs> traumatic. This is true. This is true, man. Yeah, he's uh you can tell he is he is growing tired of his of his mother's struggle, that's for sure, and, and kind of repressing him, uh, you know, as he's trying to do his own thing, obviously. It's just so it's so weird. Um so this film is it's twenty years after the original, which in the original Lori was seventeen, right? And now her son is mm-hmm. seventeen. And so she had him at 20. 
and so she met this this guy that we don't ever meet who is a well dad is an abusive chain smoking methadone addict who would attract someone like that ouch and just think he left you and just think he left you yep <laughs> just like, think ooh. he left you <laughs> wow wow yikes um but so so we know that Lori traumatized from this bounce back pretty quick got married but bounce back in the wrong way got married young had a kid young and didn't really work out for her um but she's here and she's rebuilt her life and now she's dating the guidance counselor or the therapist or whatever he is <laughs> <laughs> and uh and she has a good relationship with ronnie who's their yeah. security guard yeah ronnie he's, he seems like a sweet guy man he does i, I will give him that <laughs> Yeah, we're introduced to Ronnie, who's LL Cool J's character. Uh, and the way we're introduced to him will always make me laugh. Always. Dude, because absolutely. he's on the phone with his wife or his girlfriend, and he is reading her a romance novel that he's writing. And it is insane. <laughs> I love like I I love like in the writing process like how the hell did they come up with this like yeah we're gonna have a security guard who is you know also a romance novelist uh, in his spare time that's kind of amazing <laughs> just so so ridiculous um, but we we see that you know Ronnie has a good relationship with pretty much everybody and he lets Josh Hartnett and his buddy get out and go you know. <laughs> do their thing outside of the gates. Um, and the movie, I think in, in for late nineties for that type of film, they were trying really hard to show Carrie's drama, uh, uh, trauma. Yeah. Lori's yeah. trauma. And I think they did pretty well in I showing do, it. Actually, I, I honestly do as well. I think, you know, they, they have John, her son as a little bit of a foil to her trauma and not paying it the respect it deserves. But I think for her, they did pretty well. And we're now seeing that after an abusive relationship, she's probably been alone for a while, just raising her son. She's in a pretty healthy relationship with this, with this guidance counselor. Um, and I thought like, everything's coming up, Carrie, you know? Absolutely. Like, yeah, like, you know, just talking about how the film kind of is like, you know, getting her trauma across, you know, I really like the use of the dream sequences and I love the reflection shots. And I love that that is kind of a, a theme through the movie where she is having to like close her eyes and, you know, open them and, and, you know, hope he's not there kind of thing. I think that's really yeah. smart. And yeah, like, like you said, seems to be in a really healthy, you know, pretty strong relationship with this guidance counselor at the school. It's unfortunate that she is having to keep that a secret seemingly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, you know, like I said, I really love his performance in this movie, um, because it's just really grounding and, mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, I think it's really good. One, one thing I want to get on before we get too far uh, into the film itself is the fact that we are no longer in Haddonfield. Right. And I am curious before I kind of give my brief thoughts on that. Like, how do you feel about this movie taking place in California, you know, away from the, the fall, you know, Illinois, you know, kind of backdrop. What, what's your thoughts on that? I don't love it, but 
at the time, I didn't care. You know, in the 90s, in 98, when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, we're getting Jamie Lee in the shape <laughs> right. together again. So right. I didn't, yeah, I didn't really care. Looking back on it now, I, I, I still would say that I kind of have an air of not caring that it's set in a different place because it makes sense for Lori to have moved away, to have gotten right. away from, from that. And that's one thing that I think is kind of weird about the newer films, which this podcast will tackle next year once oh, nice. all three of them are out. But I do find that a little weird that she's she stayed there and stayed close to home and raised a family on a compound nearby where it all went down. So I, I like the fact that this movie gave Lori the space to move away, to try to get away from her past and build something new. And so I, I'm okay with it. It yeah. doesn't really feel as much like a Halloween movie as it should or could, mm -hmm. but it makes sense and I get it and I'm here for it. Yeah, man. Like it's one of those things for me, kind of, kind of like you, honestly, like on paper, I feel like I would not like that at all, mm -hmm. but in yeah. the context of the movie, it, it makes sense. Right. And you know, it's fine. I do miss, you know, that fall feeling and, and things of that yeah. nature, miss seeing those, those leaves on the ground and whatnot, but, uh, and, and all the, you know, Haddonfield references just in general, but mm -hmm. you know, it makes sense. Anyway, yeah. I was curious. Yeah. No, that's that's a good question and it's something we should talk about on here because if if something might ruin your childhood about this movie, it might be that it's not set in the original location. That's we fair. have and and you know before I said Haddonfield was where Loomis was, but that's not true. They even show like a, a some text on the screen that they're in Langdon, Illinois. Oh, that's right. I'd actually forgot about that. So, we yeah. don't ever actually go to Haddonfield in this film. That's right. That's a good call. So one, one thing I want to ask you about is the, the presence of the shape when dealing with people that he doesn't necessarily need to care about. Hmm. And what I mean by that is he didn't kill the woman in the restroom when he stole her car right, or her daughter. And I think that's, you know, the late nineties trying to play it safe and not have Michael murder an innocent child or the mother of an innocent child. Um, but then throughout the film too, there aren't a whole lot of people for the body count to grow with, but there's enough out there towards the beginning when he first gets to the school where there should have been a little bit more bloodshed in my opinion. And Man, yeah. Michael Myers is not the type to not kill <laughs> to get what he needs or even just because that's his urge. Right. So it's, it's, it was weird to me to see him go into a bathroom in the beginning and steal a car and leave the two people there. Yeah. So that was, that's a little weird to me. And then later on, there are some things when people see him at, at the school, but he doesn't do anything for a while. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Man, that's a, that's a really good point, um, and I wish I had you know more of a of a concrete answer to that. It really, yeah, you know, you say that it really is kind of random that that happens. I will say, I don't know, like with the bathroom scene in particular, that's a really nice moment of suspense for sure. 
Um, I love the looking through, uh, you know, the, 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 the stall door, right. The little crack. And I love that mirror shot him, him and, you know, in the mirror and you get to see the, the mom looking through that. Um, that's a, that's a really good point though. I don't know if maybe they thought it was just more suspenseful and thrilling just to, to not have a, a, you know, a horrific gore sequence or whatever there and, and just keep that kind of suspense going, uh, that's a good question. I will say, and again, I don't really have an answer to this, um, not that it would help the mom, but you know, we have seen him to a degree in this timeline and others, you know, steer clear of kids. Um, I mean, you think of even, I know it's a totally different thing, but in Halloween 18, for instance, he walks yeah. right beside a, you know, the crying baby, which God, that was a suspenseful moment. Yeah. yeah. But that's, um, true. that's true. You know, so I, I don't know. I wish I had kind of an answer as to why that was the case, but I, I really don't. I, I do like that moment, and you're definitely right, though. I mean, it's kind of interesting how he picks and chooses, you know, yeah, what he does. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, like it, it. I guess from the opening scene when he kills all three of them to going, his next stop is to steal a car. They don't even have to show the gore, but just showing him bust open the stall door that the mother's yeah. in, and then yeah. it cuts. True. That that would have, in my opinion, stayed a little more true to the shape. Yeah. But yeah. maybe you're you're probably right, and you probably have something there about him not killing like young kids. Right. So yeah. Maybe maybe that's something. Because he goes after teenagers, like they're they're <laughs> uh, they're on the uh, buffet line. Yeah, it's like, hey, when you're 12 and over, you're done. That's it. <laughs> yeah. The cutoff. Uh, so, all right. Well, well, moving past that. So I don't want to have to, you know, walk through every step of the film, but we we have a sequence that I think is really important where Lori reveals herself to um, Adam Arkin's character, which is what, Will, right? That's his name? Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Will. I think you're right. She she reveals who she is and he at first thinks it's a joke, but then she really explains and he, he understands and is kind of blown away, but understands. Um, and so I, I think again, the film, uh, recognizing her trauma took a big swing in letting her open up to somebody. And we all know how that goes for Will. <laughs> Poor Mr. Brennan. Oh, you hate to see it. Now, I'm really glad you brought that particular scene up because, first of all, I think that, you know, between Jamie Lee Curtis and Adam Arkin, like I said earlier, really good performances there between those two. But one thing I am curious if you caught this watch around, because, again, you watch this movie every few years, it really catches me off guard. And I know that he took it as a joke, but when she says, like, something along the lines of, like, my brother married my sister... Like one of his first responses is take your clothes off. And I'm like, whoa, like I thought you were a good listener, dude. Like calm down. Yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah, I was why I don't know. I know that I know that he was probably interpreting that as a joke, but that does like catch me off guard. Like, wow. Uh, but then they obviously get into yeah. it. And I love that moment where, you know, she's like, you know, tells him the story, as you said. And and she says, uh, you know, something like you want that drink now. And he's like. Yeah, like I, I love that moment. That is, yeah, very, very realistic mm-hmm. because, yeah, anybody having to hear something like that, process that would certainly need a stiff drink afterward. I would yeah, imagine. yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I, I, 
recognize it now that you're saying it, but even at the time, even yesterday watching it, I guess he just, he believed it was a little too incredulous. Right, right. So it makes sense that he, I I don't know, that line is probably not the right line for this film, (laughs) but he, he thinks she's joking. So then I took that as he's joking. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I don't even like, I'm not even knocking it on it. It's just, it always like, like, whoa, okay. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I should, I should be more conscious of that because it's, it is out of place. Um, But once he, he gets it the way you're right. The way he acts, the way his face reacts, once he, he says, you're telling me the truth. It's, it's really, it's, it is a really good performance. Um, so I just, I, I always like thinking about that scene or, or I, I pay attention to that scene when it happens because I, I like the, the true like bodily acting that yeah. takes place. Um, so moving on though, this is where Michael really starts coming back and starts killing people. Although I don't know. He doesn't kill that many people in this film. So that's like kind of a question mark. Hey, um, hey, with an hour and 20 minute runtime, it's hard to have a huge body count, right? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, so there's, they break the movie up. If you look on any websites about the movie, they break it up into four parts. There's the, the intro, the Carrie Tate section, the Michael enters Hillcrest section. So that's where we kind of are now where he's there and people start kind of seeing him and the kids go out on their camping trip before the kids, including John stay behind. And he starts murdering these kids. Um, and I, I always like when a film like this takes its time to build suspense, but you just brought up the point that it's an hour and 20 minutes long. And that is my huge nitpick with this film is that it moves too quickly for it to be truly suspenseful during this section. Mm-hmm. And the people that are left because of the runtime, because they had to keep moving on the pace, they're picked off quickly. And then they're also picked off where a few of them, I think one or two of them are off camera. And in a film like this, you don't want that to be off camera, right? <laughs> Yeah, true. Like, yeah, now that I think about it, like the, um, trying to think of his character's name, but I think his, his act, his real name is Adam Henbird. Um, the one that gets his hand stuck in the, in the drain. And of mm-hmm. course that is where, oh my God, sorry to bring it up again, but that's where the CG mask pops up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, his like girlfriend character finds him in that little elevator shaft mm-hmm. thing. Ed. So yeah, we do not see, his death. Um, we, see, and then, and then, well, we see his throat slit with a corkscrew, right? We see Michael do that, but we don't see him actually die. Oh, okay. And then he is stuffed into the dumbwaiter and the girl yeah. tries to get in it too, right? That's what she's Correct. running from Michael and tries Correct. to get in it with his body there. And her leg gets crushed yeah. and she gets stabbed in the back, but yeah. she's still alive when exactly. we when we leave her. And then, and then we find her uh, with you know, the other couple, uh, you know, strong on the light rig situation. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we, we jump to Will and poor Will just trying to be the nice guy gets stabbed in the back and Michael somehow picks him up with the knife. 
and then throws and, him to the side. And kudos to him. That's a. I will say, I thought that was like a really good death sequence because like he is shaken like a mofo and yeah i was like that's that's pretty impressive like because that's that's scary i and also bef- right before he dies i have to make note of this because it makes me laugh every time because i would be this guy you know as <laughs> as she as she you know jamie lee curtis as she is realizing oh my goodness you know i was 17 my son is now 17 you know she's putting all this together you know she's going for mm-hmm. the gun she's doing all this and he is like there's a literally a moment where he goes can we just calm down and i'm like that that would be me like it just it, it cracks me up every time just calm down like you are going way over the top right now obviously he doesn't know how serious the situation is but yeah and then as you said meets his unfortunate demise but yeah. before uh before his demise he shoots at i am convinced he is shooting at michael myers and somehow he shape-shifted into ll cool j i hate when that <laughs> <Yep>. happens <laughs> That's exactly right. Poor Ronnie. Damn it. Oh, man. At least Ronnie doesn't actually die, though, right? Because That's right. That's LL right. Cool J, as we find out two years later, has nine lives. Oh, uh, that's right. Um, so he he is the last major death until the very end of the movie. Um, and this now goes in right after Will's death. It goes into the final section of the film as Mm -hmm. all these websites call it which is brother versus sister (laughs) which again i do want to ask your opinion now because she says it uh josh hartnett says it at first she says it to will and then she talks about it when she's like fighting with with michael that they're related how do you feel about that so I'll be honest. Uh, I don't know how fair this is. I I like personally. I like our current timeline that we're in better. I mm-hmm. I I prefer the no connection. To be honest with you. Um, yep. Okay. Me too. You know, and I mean, I'm, of course, I'm not the only person to say this. I mean, I don't hate the the familial connection stuff. I mean, my God, that's all we knew for so long. You know what I mean? So right. I mean, it kind of right. is what it is. But um, I just think it makes it less scary. I really do. Like, I just think, you know, um, the classic saying like, oh, well, if I'm not related to him, then why should I be afraid? Like, I'm all good kind of thing. Now, I know he obviously is still killing, you know, people at that school and stuff. So I don't know how fair that is to say. But, you know, just to make it simple, I think it is genuinely more scary if there is no connection. Mm-hmm. And I, I, prefer I agree. That. I agree. Me too. Me too. So this, again, though, in 98, we were getting this content and I was just so excited to see them on the screen together that it was okay. But now watching it again, especially after we've gotten the H18 timeline or H40, um, (laughs) I I do like what they did there better. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, So she, there's the iconic moment where they, she and Josh Hartnett and John get away from Michael and close the door. And it's her face and his face through the glass at each other. Right. And if the mask wasn't so terrible, that would be such a great shot. 
It really would. It man, I would go as far to say if the mask wasn't as terrible, like this whole movie would be taking a step up for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. I I think that's very fair to say. Um, I know, man, it's such a cool shot, but you just his eyes, like, ah. Uh, I don't know. I hate to harp on it too much, man, because it is what it is. But no, no, yeah, it God. is what it is. And you know, so when when I was doing a little research last night, the Stan Winston mask has, I guess, gotten more praise as time has gone on. I don't see it personally, but <laughs> I guess <laughs> the, there are fans out there that are like, you know what, it wasn't that bad. Which fine, whatever. Um, to each their own. Right. But, to each their own. Moving, moving from that. I mean, it's such a great scene. It's the one that everybody thinks about when you say H two O. But moving forward from there, they finally have a confrontation. Man, I have to ask, what do you, uh, you know, you call? I love what you called. You said the internet kind of tab that is, you know, brother versus sister. What do you think of that of that sequence? Because I do have to mention this really quick before we get into mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, how I mentioned early in, in our recording that, you know, there were moments in this movie where I remember turning up the yeah. um, surround sound. I mean, you know what moment I'm going to, you know, as soon as her son and, you know, girlfriend, whatever, leave the premises, she grabs that axe. She's yeah. walking up the hill. I love that crane shot. Like, that is such a cool shot. You hear the, the theme starting Music, to tune yeah. up and then just, my God. And then it just goes into it, dude, like you still get chills. I still get chills seeing that sequence. Um, And I I do, I do like, in general, I do like the, you know, brother versus sister, quote unquote. I think it was, was well done. I like her, you know, under the tables and and that whole kind of cat mouse sequence. Any, any big thoughts on, on that kind of? No, it, it honestly is the high point of the film. Yeah. When just like what you said, when she sends John and uh, Michelle um, Williams character away, which I should remember her name, but (laughs) she's kind of forgettable in the movie. Um, Uh, Molly. Molly. Molly, Yeah. I I hate to say that because Michelle Williams is a great actress, but she's kind of forgettable. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. She sends them away and you're right. She grabs that axe and starts walking up and screaming, Michael, like you're right. The music swelling. It's awesome. Yeah, man. It's what everybody wants. It's what everybody wanted of this film and everything that comes for the next like four to six minutes is H or or Halloween porn, basically for fans. (laughs) This is true. It's it's what you want. It's the showdown of the century, the heavyweight (laughs) and the, uh, the reigning champion going for the belt, you know? Um, and she, she gets him with the ax. He gets her with the knife at the, at the same time. It's just like that, that end sequence of Rocky, uh, Rocky two, where Apollo and Rocky go and punch each other. And there's a freeze frame. Like that is, that is this moment in the Halloween franchise. <laughs> that is a great call. That's awesome. I, I kind of want uh, that, that Rocky shot now with, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers photoshopped on it. Mm. That would, that would be, that would be, that nice. would be pretty funny with the ax and the knife. <laughs> 
that would be pretty cool actually um and and not to give a spoiler alert away but stay tuned because the next episode of the show might just have something to do with rocky Uh uh-oh um but yeah she's she's hiding under the tables right and he's just walking with the butcher knife because she's dropped the axe it's it's like very suspenseful at that moment and she jumps up and grabs that flagpole, throws him off the balcony, and then goes downstairs and starts stabbing him with his knife. Like, that's poetic justice right there. Oh, man, um, no doubt. But then, of course, Ronnie, like I said, stupid Ronnie, runs up and tells her to stop. <laughs> oh, Ronnie, what are you doing? Let him, let it burn. Oh, sorry, wrong movie. <laughs> It's exactly right, though. I mean, I don't know why. In all these movies, they never go for the head. <laughs> just well, it's like a well, zombie headshot, you know. Hey, give it about ten minutes. We'll see what happens, right? <laughs> exactly right. And I was like <laughs> excited, yeah, when that happened. So, so go ahead. Why don't you tell us about that part? No, man. Okay, so obviously, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie stops her. You know, they. Give old Mikey Myers the body bag treatment. He's he's zipped up. They're putting him in the van, and you know we think all is all is pretty much good. That is until she obviously jacks a police officer's gun and yep. starts you know pointing a gun at you know police and first responders, which is kind of hilarious in itself. <laughs> seeing Jamie Lee Curtis do that, and she's like, "No, this is this is done. I'm ending this." You know, she is she is done screwing around at this point. So she hops in that van, and uh, you know she's she's going to do God knows what. I'm I'm honestly kind of interested to know what she was going to do. I, I don't know if she's going to run the van off a cliff or what. But anyway, yeah. uh, you know, we start seeing some movement in the back, which. My goodness, as a kid, that always terrified me, yeah, seeing that the body, body bag, bag sitting yeah. up. Yeah, oh, dude, start moving, and, and obviously you see the hand pop through and unzip, um, mm-hmm. which uh, causes a bit of a tussle. Now, I'm, I'm kind of losing track. He obviously, does he go, like, through the windshield? Yep, he gets he outside does, he does. of the van. Okay, okay, yep, yeah. She slams on the brakes. Yeah. He flies through the windshield, and then she runs the van into him. Yes. And drives off the road, and yes. he's attached to the front of the van, <laughs> and it's like a, a wily coyote roadrunner cartoon at this point. And the van slams into uh, a tree, and he's now pinned between the van and the tree. I, I will say before we get into the finale here, uh, are you decently familiar with Halloween Four? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so. You know, that's the one time in particular I remember us also seeing like Michael Myers being head on hit by a vehicle. And I will say H2O, to their credit, did much better because at least it wasn't the complete dummy that clearly in Halloween 4 you see just it's like a pillow being hit, which I love (laughs) Halloween 4. I'm not taking anything away from it, but that that moment always does crack me up. Yep, yep. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. You bring that up. Yeah. That's uh, what a ridiculous sequence. Um, but so yeah, she, she pins him. He reaches out to her and it's like, Oh, what a beautiful brother sister moment. She reaches out and touches his fingertips or, or just misses touching his fingertips. Right. Starts to cry, starts to cry. And then wham, man (laughs) takes his head off with the ax. And Dude, what what was that like in the theater? It was so. There were 
audible gasps when the body bags sat up. Oh, God. Like people were going, oh, like it was, <laughs> it was, I think I probably did too. It was insane when the body bag sat up. And then there were cheers when she lopped his head off. <laughs> That's crazy. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, we we think this is the end, <laughs> right? Because oh, the movie does end oh. here, doesn't it? You know what? I, I am going to say this is the end. This is the end. There was nothing else nothing after, after this. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess my, my question, and I did just watch it yesterday, but I tuned out right after that, uh, right after she lopped the head off because I had a work email I, I hopped on. But <laughs> that's the movie ends right there, right? Absolutely. So she yeah, chops okay. his head off and then, you know, there's basically a pan to her and we hear her breathing as yep. we did Michael at the end of the first film, cut to black and thank God they used the original Halloween theme. Yeah. Yeah. For the credits. Yep. And so that's where the film ends. And like you just said, nothing comes after it, which will be tackled some other time on this <sighs> show. <sighs> uh, um, so, so before we get into the ruined your childhood part, let's talk about the score because I mentioned yeah. something, you mentioned something. So give me your thoughts. Let's tell me about what you, what you feel about this score, man. Okay. So mm, I don't want to be too harsh. I, I, I definitely, okay. So I don't hate it. I think that's safe to say, like, I don't just, you know, I'm not trying to put it out with fire or anything, but it just does not fit into the Halloween franchise for me. I think it's just way too much happening. I mean, just between the 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 strings and the like you said, I mean, we're talking about a full orchestral score here. And uh, I just think it's too much. And but, you know, put the put the theme and that stuff aside. I just think there's some really baffling choices. Like there is one moment that always stands out so much to me and it is toward the end of the movie. He's already invaded the school at this point. And if I'm not mistaken, it's right after Jamie Lee Curtis had hit him with that fire extinguisher. So she like hits him with a, with a fire extinguisher and she's basically escaping. And there's this super suspenseful, uh, like chase sequence, right? Like I said, cat and mouse. Well, you know, that would be such a great time to maybe not play the Halloween theme itself, but just play one of those iconic, uh, you know, scores that we love so much. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, you know, from the original film, but we literally just get this, you know, in parentheses, insert generic horror movie music where it's like this, ah, 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 ah. you know, I'm just like, what is going on here? It just, it, uh, it was, it's kind of baffling to me to be honest and i know i know that there was you know a big debacle where there's like two different scores for this movie and you can still kind of hear the old one i don't know i don't even really love that one to be honest but like like we said this was this was 90s dimension films i mean this is this is the most scream halloween movie uh, you know ever made this is this is the most non- I'm trying to think of how to put it. This is a Scream movie that's not Scream. I guess I could just right, just put it right. that way. And so, yeah, anyway. Well, it's so funny you bring that up because, <laughs> again, me doing some research after watching it yesterday, there were some weird things about the score that I recognized, and I couldn't place it. So oh. I started doing some some Google searches. And it is crazy because John Ottman, 
wrote the score. So all of the orchestral Halloween themes in the in the score were him. But Dimension Films, the producers, namely Bob Weinstein, wasn't a fan of that feel for the whole film. It, he he, I guess he said it felt too, um, I, I, too grand. Sure, sure, and not not suspenseful enough. So yeah, they it almost used, gives it like this epic feel. Like like it's just it's just too much going on. What I found really interesting when I was reading this is that they used sections of Marco Beltrami's scores from Scream, Scream 2, and um, I think Mimic. Yeah, Mimic. Oh my God, that's right. You, dude, so I had Marco, actually forgotten about that. Yeah, Marco Beltrami, if that's how you say his last name correctly. Yeah, he, yeah that's right. he gets a credit for the score, even though he didn't actually score anything. They just <laughs> pulled his music from three other movies. And there's a very specific scene that is what made me think, like, I know I've heard this before. And that's um, when Jamie Lee is running away from from Michael. And I think it's the part you just said where she hits him with the fire extinguisher. Oh, God. It's okay. the same exact music from when Tatum died in Scream 1. Oh, my gosh. Okay. See, I knew that there was that connection. I had totally forgot that, though. And it just... Man, that moment in particular, it just feels so out of place. And just me being like the traditionalist Halloween fan I am, I'm just like, what is going on in this sequence? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the the Ottman's full score, which I have listened to before, and I didn't realize I was listening to it, I think, um, was a album that they released called Michael Myers' Portrait of Terror. And I'm just, you know, I'm a score horror. So in Halloween... Yeah. Or during during the month of Halloween, I'm always looking for horror music to listen to. And I, either on Amazon Music or Spotify a couple of years ago, I found this thing that was called Portrait of Terror. And I was like, oh, this is H2O. And so I listened to it. And now, as of yesterday, I know that it's his full score that wasn't actually used. Man, so what, uh, what was your what was your thoughts on crazy. it? Well, I didn't I didn't love it because yeah. nowadays, you know, it's the the Halloween theme shouldn't be orchestral there's something haunting about it being you know what was originally written right and the the orchestral theme does truly like i guess you know bob weinstein knew it does make it feel a little too epic and a little too grand and that's not this type of movie this type of movie is compact and it's all taking place in one location and it's all uh it's you're meant in the halls of the school to feel claustrophobic and the score was too big Mm -hmm. for that yeah, like I, I find myself, I find myself not hating it in the opening credits, but as we continue through the movie, it just feels really out of place. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, so is there anything else you want to touch on on the film? Man, you know what? It's just this is just a really interesting uh, entry into the series for me. It's. You know, not that we're getting into this, but if we're looking at, like, you know, series rankings, it's definitely somewhere in the middle for me. Um, I don't I don't hate it. You know, like I said, hell, I pretty much watch it every year. Uh, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. And I, I will say, I do find it interesting that, man, like, you know, this is right up there for some people as one of their favorite sequels. And, and I find that really interesting. Um, you know, because it just shows that folks hold 
different things like there's different levels of importance for different people like for me you know like i stated handling michael is so important for me and i just feel like this movie does it poorly but it also handles jamie lee curtis quite well and her story is really good in this movie i think so there's just a lot of pros and cons and you know i I enjoy watching it i think i think i can definitely say that it's fine Okay, so then since it, it feels like you're already wrapping up here, I will ask you, <laughs> Preston, did H2O ruin your childhood? Oh, no, 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 no. It definitely did not. Heck, you know, specifically in my childhood, hell, at one point, this could have been my favorite Halloween movie for all I know. I wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised by that uh, the least bit, you know, watching this at 9, 10 years old, just thinking this was everything. I mean, come on, LL Cool J's in it for crying out loud. That's right. That's right. um, no, man, it definitely didn't. It's like I said, it's far from perfect, but uh, it's a it's a solid entry into the series and something that many of us never, ever thought we would see and that we got a bit of a reunion with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, etc. So absolutely yeah. did not ruin my childhood. And I hope it didn't for you either, Phil. I don't think. Yeah, it did. well, good, good question back. No, it it didn't ruin my childhood. I mean, this was the epitome of 90s schlock horror that I was <laughs> there for in the late 90s. Like, I I loved everything right. that Dimension was putting out at the time because that's what we were getting and that's all I knew. You know, at the, uh, for the yeah. 90s, this was perfect. Looking back on it now, it's not ruining my childhood, but there are definitely some things that I think I'm looking through with nostalgia-colored glasses. Oh, yeah. But I forgive a lot of those things because of the nostalgia for it basically um and and now knowing that there's a better entry that's a direct sequel to halloween 2 i'm okay with this being out there as a what if universe kind of thing right yeah choose your choose your own adventure right (laughs) yep yep so so yeah it definitely didn't ruin my childhood um but i'm glad we got a chance to talk through it because it's an entry in the film that, like you said, it's it's a lot of people's favorite, or not favorite, but up there at the top of the list, mm-hmm. and also really towards the bottom of a lot of people's lists. So it's quite <laughs> divisive, and I love talking about divisive films on this show. <laughs> yeah, man, um, same. A- absolutely. I appreciate, again, man, you having me on to talk about it. Yeah, of course. So Preston, where can the people out there find you? Yes, I am pretty active on the tweets, at uh, Preston967 on Twitter. You can find me. I, I really stay active on Letterboxd as well. Just love logging my, my viewing habits. Uh, same, at Preston967 on Letterboxd if you have an account. But yeah, man, check me out. I've, I've recently been on um, good friend Hunter Fagan's podcast, Grim Grinning Hosts, and talking about the Halloween franchise. More recently, Halloween Kills. That was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, man, just check me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. And you can find me out there on the internet, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And you can also follow the podcast at Podcast Ruined on Twitter and Instagram. So thanks again, Preston, for joining us at this look back of Halloween H2O colon 20 years later. And uh, we hope that this look back at the film didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Leading to two tumultuous round melon breasts. Round melon breasts.
Baby, it's fiction. People like to read descriptive adjectives. It sets the scene. It's stupid is what it is. It's sensual and romantic. This is serious. Honey, I've been patient, but this writing thing just ain't taking off. And I want a baby before I get so old I can't get my butt back. You gotta give me a chance, honey. I have to express myself creatively. We're paying the bills, aren't we? 